Hello, g'day and welcome. I'm Party Parslow and this is episode 11 of series 2 of Party in China, which begins with me still in Beijing airport, still having had no sleep and no shower. On the other hand, I had an interesting new odour and I had missed my plane. As I started the long march back to the information desk that I'd spotted several hours ago, the driver of one of those electric carts that carries the aged and injured around airports hailed me. I must have looked like I needed the help. He spoke no English but drove me to a newsagent so the sales clerk there could translate that I'd missed my plane. He then gave me a lift back to the security gates, more than a 10-minute drive, all the way with me feeling guilty at the special treatment and trying to look like I had cancer or something. Getting out through security took a small fraction of the time getting in. A policewoman opened a door and pushed me out into the terminal. I found the information desk and was pointed towards another counter with a roiling, noisy crowd pressed up against it. This was obviously going to take a while. So I rang Summer, my new boss, and apologetically told her that I'd missed the plane because I'd been asleep at the gate. She couldn't have been nicer, saying the journey was too long and the thunderstorms had made it worse and I must be too tired and not to worry about it. But I did worry about it. In the next several hours at various counters and on various phone calls, I was told there was, wasn't another Air China flight to Lianyungang later that day. I could, couldn't get on that flight. I would, wouldn't have to pay cash for another ticket. I could, couldn't catch a train instead. That train would take seven, nine, 14 hours. I could, couldn't catch the 8.10 flight the next morning. I could, couldn't still go to the hotel. The next flight I could get was, wasn't in four days time. My bag had, hadn't gone to Lian Yung Gang without me. At some stage, I gave up and decided to just go to the hotel, get some sleep and either sort it all out later or go home to Australia. Outside, the queue for taxis was much more reasonable, about a dozen people. But still, no driver could convince me he knew where my hotel was. They all spoke about going into the city, but that's a 25-kilometre drive and not the five minutes Summer had spoken about. Eventually, one driver said he had a brother who was a cop and knew everything. So I got in with him. He drove to a roadblock and asked his brother, who had never heard of the place. As I should have done long ago, I rang the hotel and asked them to tell the driver how to get there. He had a quick conversation, comprehension bloomed on his face, 
and away we went. After four or five times the quoted five minutes of driving, in what seemed to me to be circles, I rang the hotel again. The driver had another conversation, then confidently and illegally did a U-turn and drove me quickly and directly to the wrong hotel. The receptionist of that hotel informed me that my hotel was a 20-minute walk down a nearby dusty road. So away I went. After a couple of hundred yards of tarmac, it became a country lane, so narrow that tendrils of vines kept catching in my clothes and backpack. Around one curve, I was surprised to find a railway crossing, manned by yet another uniformed drone, who didn't bother to put down the safety barrier, just pointed at a train that was coming and yelled at me that there was a train coming. At least I think that's what he yelled, I couldn't hear him, because there was a train coming. Soon after that, a large building came into sight. Its mainly crumbling white exterior was surpassed by an ornate lobby of brass and marble. At long last, my resting place. Then my phone rang. It was summer, telling me to go back to the airport as Air China wouldn't change my ticket over the phone, but might if I was there in person. I continued into the hotel anyway, considering grabbing a couple of hours sleep first, but the surprisingly helpful concierge told me their shuttle bus was just about to leave for the airport. The first piece of luck I could remember. I clambered aboard and found the old lady who I'd tripped in the aisle of the plane out of Sydney. It was only the day before, but it felt like more than a week. She assured me that she was undamaged. So that was the second piece of luck. She also told me that the hotel was very, very nice and how very, very pleasant it was to break up a long journey with some sleep, a meal and a shower. Bitch. Oh, back in the terminal, I joined the queue at the Air China ticket counter. Well, not really a queue, more of an insurgency. I was far from the only passenger to have missed my connection. People all around were pushing and shoving each other to try to get to the counter first, except for directly in front of me where a man in a wheelchair waited patiently. I wasn't about to push him out of the way, but in a moment of inspiration, pushed him forward instead, using his chair to carve a path through the crowd. He was initially confused, but then cottoned on, and we made it to the counter in less than 10 minutes. As I waited behind him, a fat guy behind me reached around and dropped his suitcase on the toes of my boots. I suppose he didn't appreciate our manoeuvre and that this was some sort of claim to position. Nonetheless, I was in no mood to accept such an affront. And as my new mate took his new tickets and rolled away, I hung the offending bag on the rear handle of his wheelchair without his knowledge. Then, when I was at the counter, the fat guy started looking for his bag 
and shouting indignant questions. But I merely mimed that he could see I didn't have it. So what was he yelling at me for? My new boss, Summer, had told me to call her from the ticket counter so that her boss, the headmaster, could bully, well, she'd said influence, the desk clerk, and I'd obediently done so. But by the time she came back on the line saying she couldn't find the headmaster, I was already booked on a China East flight at 7.40 that evening without any drama or extra payment. I've never seen competing airlines cooperate like that in the West. Maybe they do. All the clerk had asked was, Why you delay by thunderstorm? As I was technically there in time for the flight, I felt like I was lying when I answered yes. And for some reason, that bothered me more than the trick with the fat guy's suitcase, which, let's face it, was an act of petty bastardry. It seems it's not what I do that tickles my conscience, but to whom I do it. The fat guy was a pain in the ass who'd aggressively dropped his luggage on my toes. The clerk was having a terrible day, but despite the harassment, was still polite and helpful. But I lied to him anyway. My next problem was finding my bag full of bushmills plus almost everything else I owned. Nearby, a sign said, Large and unusual luggage check-in. My bag was neither large nor unusual, but I'm both. So I joined my 49th queue of that morning, in which I was the only one not holding a weird-shaped package. After a while, I glanced ahead to see a bald and chubby, uniformed officer bent double and yelling at my bag on the floor. At first I thought I was hallucinating again, but he was still there after I'd blinked several times, so I jumped the queue. Amazingly, nobody complained, and as I neared, it became clear that he was yelling into the microphone on his lapel, not at my bag, but about my bag. I yelled too. It is mine. Sure, will do. And that problem was solved, with suspicious ease. The China East flight left from Terminal 2 and the shuttle bus there took a surprisingly long time. Beijing is a bloody big airport. But the ride was enlivened by a couple of French Chinese women who had just flown in from Paris and were complaining about how dirty and crude the locals were. En Francais. It depressed me that I'd spent a year in China and the only passengers I could understand on the bus were speaking French. But I mean, it wasn't all my fault. Firstly, Sonny's hadn't provided the promised regular lessons. Secondly, no one on the bus was saying, It is mine. Sure, will do. Anyway, I was determined to learn the language this time. Terminal 2 was considerably older and crappier than the futuristic Terminal 3 where I'd spent the night. However, I was impressed by the comfort of the China East waiting area until they told me it was the first-class lounge and threw me out. According to the You Are Here map, 
Terminal 2 also boasted an Irish pub. Again, I was impressed. But it's the worst imitation pub I've ever seen, little more than a kiosk, as convincing as the set of an Argentinian soap opera. And the barmaid had never even heard of Guinness. Never heard of Guinness. Appalling! I couldn't check my big bag in until two hours before the flight, and that was still around six hours away. So commandeered a trolley and went for a wander. The walkway connecting to Terminal 1 was like a museum of art and historical artefacts, so that successfully murdered an hour or so. A quiet corner with one of my Bushmills buddies murdered another, and left me in immediate need of a long nap. There was nowhere to stretch out comfortably, but placing the trolley in a corner and resting my legs on the bag in it, then swivelling sideways on the seat, approximated an acceptable sleeping position. For a while, I was soon awoken by a thump, a cry of pain and lots of laughter. Opposite me, a huge woman, she would have been huge for a man, she was taller and bigger than me, by far the largest Chinese person I'd seen so far, had imitated my sleeping position but not secured her trolley in a corner, so it had rolled away and she'd fallen on her ass in the corridor, whereupon a passing family had wheeled their luggage trolley straight into her head. The resulting uproar showed no sign of down-roaring, so I wandered away, discovered the left luggage counter, deposited the big bag there, and caught the airport express into Beijing. All in a semi-delirious daze. The airport express is a modern, very fast and very crowded train. It cost 25 yuan and took about 25 minutes. But didn't go into the centre of Beijing, terminating at Dongzhumen, where it connects to the subway system which will take you anywhere you want to go in the capital, as long as you know where you want to go, or can read Chinese. Eventually I found a map on the wall with some tourist information written in English, and the forbidden city looked to be well within walking distance. So I memorised the way, and I started walking. Yes, of course I got lost. If only I'd stayed on the main roads, but the side streets looked much more interesting. Tiny little alleyways, weird-looking shops, strikingly beautiful women, stunningly ugly men, strangely offensive aromas. Oh, and one familiar one, marijuana. In the gents of a shopping mall, the distinctive odour of dope was wafting out of a couple of cubicles and some discreet surveillance from the urinal revealed a joint being passed under the partition. The only other time I'd smelt weed in China was on the balcony of a kind of hippie cafe in Chengdu. Not really my sort of place, but the lovely German Zhang liked it, so I pretended to. And they did have some good Danish beer. 
After a couple of hours, I realised the Forbidden City was living up to its name as far as I was concerned. So tried to retrace my steps. I made it back to what I was convinced was the same general neighbourhood as the Airport Express station, but just couldn't find it. No one spoke English, not even the cops. So I kept wandering, but by the sixth time I passed the Wan Chi Foot Massage Museum, I was ready to donate my aching pair. Perhaps they could bronze them, mount them in the lobby and visitors could have photos taken of their tiny tootsies next to my huge hooves. By the time I was starting to worry about missing yet another plane, I found a young Englishman. He didn't know where he was either, but at least he had a tourist map. Borrowing it, I hopefully showed it to a local greybeard who was sitting and smoking on some steps nearby. I was a bit taken aback when he completely ignored me until I realised he was blind. His wife wouldn't even look at the map but pointed to a neighbour who would. The neighbour spent a fair while turning the map round and round and round and round. Not confidence inspiring. And then suddenly pointed down a road which I'd already tried twice. Thanking both him and the young Pommy, I staggered off in that direction and one block further than I'd given up last time, the Airport Express was waiting. I was back on track for Jiangsu. In the next episode of Party in China, my new gig, my new digs and my new friends. Some of whom take me out for a day at the beach. Well, they thought it was a beach. I've had more sand than that in the gusset of my board shorts. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.